Hi, I'm Calvin Pugh, and this is HIV Connect, a podcast from the International Association of Providers of AIDS Care, or IAPAC, that brings into focus what living with HIV looks like today. In each episode, I connect with clinicians, experts, and community leaders in conversations about clinical and psychosocial management issues, such as aging, stigma, and sexual health topics that matter to people living with HIV. Today, my guests are Charles Sanchez, who is a writer openly living with HIV. He's a contributing editor for TheBody.com, and his work has been featured in leading publications like HuffPost's Career Voices, Them Us, and more. Charles' groundbreaking web series, Merck, a musical comedy about a person who's living with HIV and isn't sick, sad, or dying, garnered him several awards, including Best Actor in a Web Series at the official Latino Short Film Festival. He also created the hilarious HIV public service campaign, The More You Can Hoe. His lifelong dedication to the arts and activism has been recognized on Healthline.com's list of HIV honors, the most influential voices, and Pause Magazine's Pause 100. In his free time, Charles can be seen charming audiences and his guests on At Home With, his popular Instagram live talk show featuring prominent members of the HIV and LGBTQ plus community. And Dr. Allison Agbu, who is a professor of adult and pediatric infectious diseases at John Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. Her clinical care and research focus on young people vulnerable to and those living with HIV. Dr. Agbu oversees a clinical research program that aims to coordinate care, treatment, and research for vulnerable populations through a multidisciplinary and socially responsible lens. She's also the founder and medical director for Accessing Care Early Clinic and the program director of the Pediatric Adolescent HIV and AIDS Program. She's the project director of John Hopkins Women, Infant, Children, and Youth Partnership, a regional program aimed at improving care for vulnerable populations in Central Maryland. Dr. Agro's independent research studies use multimodal approaches, including clinic and field-based community-involved approaches and clinical trials. She's an active member of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Adolescent and Adult Antiretroviral Treatment Guidelines, chair-elect of the HIV Medicine Association Board of Directors, and chair of Advocates for Youth Board, all spaces where she tirelessly advocates for those who cannot advocate for themselves. The World Health Organization, or WHO, defines health as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. In the age of modern HIV treatment and care, individuals living with HIV can live long, healthy lives. But what does healthy living with HIV look like today? On this episode of HIV Connect, we will explore some of the elements that can enhance our quality of life beyond viral suppression. So I'd like to start with asking both of you, what are your personal definitions of healthy living? I mean, I think it. you have to think about your whole life. So I talk about exercise and, and eating right, but it's also about being connected to your family and your loved ones and your friends and being social, because I think that's part of your, my mental health anyway, is taking care of those kinds of things and those relationships, which keep me healthy, which keep me alive and active and um, happy. Music is really important to me. I listen to a lot of music and being connected to the world. And, uh, you know, I also see a therapist and take care of my mental health that way. I think that's important. I go to my doctor regularly. I take my medications regularly. I eat fruits and vegetables. Sometimes I eat cake. 
Sometimes <laughs> I eat candy. Like those are also part of taking care of myself is, you know, eating carbs or fried foods when it'll make me feel good when I want to. So those are the things that I think of as being like full health, 100%. I love that. <laughs> I love this question. Um, I think particularly as a a medical doctor, you know, I've had to think beyond that for myself, but also for my patients. And the way I like to define healthy living is living your best complete life. And that encompasses mind, body, and soul, right? And, you know, I think when we talk about, and I heard Charles alluding to the things that he needs to get to that for mind, body, and soul, it's sustained changes you make to your lifestyle and your life that help you maximize the ability to enjoy life encompassing mind, body, and soul. So music, which is my soul, right? So that helps me to calm down. It helps me shake a tail feather. And so I feel better. I get exercise with that. It could be what you put in your body. It could be what you put in your mind. So what you expose yourself to, even unplugging from social media. I think it's it's all of the things, right? And putting it together. I, I love that idea of, you know, it's mind, body, and soul, but also Charles's, you know, thought that it's balance. Yes. So in the vein of my last question, Dr. Agru, most clinicians see people living with HIV tend to focus on laboratory values, including most notably viral suppression. But what else do you as a clinician consider important about in counseling regarding whole person health? That's a really good question. I take care of a lot of young people living with HIV, including a lot of those who have been born with HIV that are now in their 30s and some approaching 40 and beyond. And there's this movement, I think, actually for many chronic illnesses like diabetes or whatever, where I am greater than whatever the thing that is that you monitor. I'm greater than my viral load. I'm greater than my hemoglobin A1C. I'm greater than what have you. And I think when it gets to what do we as clinicians do and what we need to do is to think about all the things, right? So the viral load conversation to me is, it's this much of it, right? If I just drill down on just the viral load and not think about all the things, one, I'll miss the whole and complete person that's in front of me and the things that enrich them. Many of those things, if I don't lean into, can impact that viral load. So <laughs> I think it's all the things. So when I give a diagnosis or I meet somebody for the first time with HIV, I start with, you're going to be okay. I ask about their fears with their diagnosis and usually get, you know, can I have children? Am I going to die from this? And I discuss, you know, with them that, well, you know, the reality is the things that are going to kill you with HIV are what the rest that Americans are dying from, the obesity and diabetes, the suicide, right? Particularly young, young people spend a lot of time not wanting to be different. I'm like, you're going to be just like everybody else unless we take care of all of these things. And then you talk about all the things that are mental health, this, that, and the third, that can then lead to how you counsel people to be greater than their viral load. And if you do that, they do suppress their viral load and they are better, but seeing them as a complete person. I think that's so important. So Charles, you've made a lot of changes in your life over the years, but what lifestyle changes have you made over time and what what lifestyle factors do you think other people living with HIV should receive after getting an HIV diagnosis? And should we have health goals in mind to incentivize action? To kind of piggyback on what Dr. Agu said is about like the whole person and Okay. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Allie, I'll just go ahead and like, <laughs> pretend that we're really close. BFS. <laughs> right, I'll just call you Al. <laughs> uh, but I think that because it's not just about HIV, like the HIV, it's just one of the things about me. 
and I do have to take care of my whole life. And I think that's with everybody who's living with HIV or not. You have to think about your dental health. How's my hearing, especially as they get older? I'm like, wow. As well as like exercise and diet and balance and forgiving yourself when you don't have balance. Finding ways to just love yourself, which is a daily chore for me. Like that's not my chief talent is to love myself. So those are things that I have to do on a daily basis is to find things in my life that delight myself. Like we were talking about music earlier. My theme song changes every day. And today it's an old 60s song called Watusi. Do you know this song, anybody? There's a dance to it. A Watusi. Um, look it up. It's great. But I think it's but that mental health and joy, and those are really important things to find in your life for everybody, living with HIV or not. Has setting goals helped you incentivize action on your part, Charles? Well, yeah. Like I have been someone who I've been a, a workout boy since I was in my 20s. And that's been like, whether I've been chubby, whether I've been fit, whether I've been skinny, like I always work out. It became more important to me when I was diagnosed with HIV. My doctor said to me, one of the best things you can do for your health and for your HIV is work out. It helps everything. It helps the medication work better. It helps. It just helps everything. So that was something that really motivated me to be like, yeah, I'm going to continue this thing that I started in my 20s. And um, and then like uh, things that like motivate me are also like when I see results or I start eating better and I'm feeling better and I'm a little bit fitter and I'm and I'm, my clothes are fitting better. Those are incentivizing for me. But it's not important for everybody to be like to have a V cut body or to be, you know, th those kinds of superficial things. But when I eat vegetables and I don't just stuff my face with candy and cake, I actually feel better and I and I can do more. And my like, oh, look, my skin looks better and all those kinds of things. But it's 100 percent. I'd love to add to that in my my Please. other hat that I wear. It's not really a hat. It's a it's a leotard. I'm a <laughs> I'm a Zumba instructor and I've done this for a long time. And so, you know, January 1st, the week first week of the club, there's all these people, their New Year's resolutions, and I'm going to be snatched, and I'm going to do this, and a third. And I always say, you know, it's about lifeline and not waistline. And so the lifeline is it, I can actually go up a flight of stairs and not feel short of breath. I can actually do this and not necessarily measuring it on whether you fit into that dress. Because you know what? The wedding may come and you may not fit into the dress, but your heart rate may feel better. It may be lower. It may be better, right? Your your ability to go up the stairs without stopping and holding your chest is, is be better, right? So changing the fact that you can run around with your kids or maybe different. And so what those goals are, I try to have people modify them because it's almost like it, it's got to be weight, this, that, and a third. And it's actually, like Charles was saying, you're feeling better, you're feeling more energetic, you're able to sleep better, right? All those things and putting those into your goals, right? Oh yeah, I was able to go up a flight of stairs without, you know, whatever, I was able to do this. So I think those are important too in, in putting realistic goals so that you feel better that you, you you made them versus I didn't lose that 30 pounds I wanted to lose. Well, when it comes to, to exercise, since we're kind of on that, you have to find something that you enjoy, because if you don't enjoy working out, exercise, whatever that is, if it's a dance class, if it's Zumba, if it's lifting weights, 
or climbing rocks, climbing up walls like Calvin does. He climbs up walls, you guys. It's nuts. Anyways, but to find something that you enjoy, yeah. then you'll do it. Then you'll show up. And, yeah. and if you have a community, if you have a buddy that's at the gym that you know you're going to see, that's also helpful. It becomes a little bit more social. It becomes a little bit more fun. And then you'll actually do it. And then you'll be more likely to have benefits if you, you know, do it. You know, I think in, in the vein of what you've both shared, you know, I think when I started working out, it was certainly, you know, it was an aesthetic like race. It was to look a certain way to, you know, appeal to certain people. And as I evolved and with the introduction of rock climbing, you realize very quickly that it's not about how good you look in a Speedo. It is about how strong you are and how much you can endure. And in real life, you know, if there is ever a zombie apocalypse, I am ready. <laughs> <laughs> so Charles, as a quick follow-up, who in your care team has been the best resource for healthier living recommendations? And what would you say to care providers who may not necessarily view their roles as advising on more than clinical matters? Well, like I said before, I think that first doctor when I was newly diagnosed telling me that working out is one of the best things for me, that has stayed with me. That will motivate me on days I don't feel like going to the gym. But something that motivates me or that really helps me for my current uh, my current doctor, who I've been with now for like 15 years, is that he does treat me like I'm a whole person. He doesn't just ask me how I'm feeling or looking at my current you know viral load and things like that. But he asks me, you know, he, we talk about the shows I'm doing or things that I'm writing or people I've interviewed, tells me like right now, He's on a trip in Japan and I taught him how to say hello. I was like, oh, konnichiwa. And he's like, what's that? That's hello in Japanese. Um, and that we have a friendliness. He cares more about me in, in a broader sense than just my health. He cares about my whole person. And that's really helpful to me to motivate me to stay healthy and to stay showing up to him and all that kind of stuff. Can I just add to that? I mean, I think it is so important to see all of the pieces, right? All of the parts. Um, like I said, because they impact they impact the other parts. But I also, like Charles alluded to, clinicians have more power than they realize, right? And we always talk about the power dynamic. You hear me trying to diffuse some of that. It's like, no, call me Allison. Let's meet, literally, let's meet each other on the same level, right? Take that away. But I also lean into my power when I know, when I write it on a prescription pad, you know, ART, and I also write meditate or jog or this or that or unplug or sleep because people look at that after visit Bob. Oh, Dr. Agus said I should do this, right? So leaning into that a bit, but it's it's come to in shared decision making. We talk about well, what's most important and what have you, and then it ends up in the plan that we both are leaving that visit with. So I think critically important. Following up on, on the last part of my question there, Allison, <laughs> what would you say to <laughs> providers who may not view their roles as advising on more than clinical matters? Yeah, no, I would say that I would want them to reframe, reframe that. I think certainly that our patients are looking to us to weigh in on things, right? And sometimes they won't even ask, but they're kind of like, they're waiting. And I'll give an example. Nobody likes to talk about sexual health. We spend very little time teaching clinicians how to address sexual health. So I spend half my time teaching people and talking to people about addressing sexual health, right? Reason being, you ask about sex, right? And first, not just like, hi, Mr. Sanchez, who are you sleeping with? But like, it's part of just a history, right? With that sexual health, you get 
whether or not someone feels healthy enough to have sex, right? Not just the urologic issues and their ability to actually get there, but whether they have chest pain when they have sex, whether or not they feel too depressed to have sex, right? You get so much out of it. So if you think, oh, I don't want to talk about sex is beyond clinical, make it clinical because it actually gives you a window to what's actually going on with people's lives. The fact that they may be concerned about disclosure to their partner or they, and then you can talk about you equals you. So it actually rolls all the way in and actually helps you do your job better. So think about it in that way with all the clinical matters, asking about what's down the block from you so you can know about exercise, all of it. I love that. I think that one of the things that I value most about my doctor and my relationship with him is that there's no judgment when it comes to sexual health. And when I've gotten like, whoopsie daisy, I've got some gonorrhea. Like there's never a judgment about about that. There's just like, oh, well, let's get you a shot. Here's a prescription. He also doesn't give me a safe sex talk, which I certainly don't need at this stage of my life, at this stage of my HIV. You know, I've been living with HIV for almost 20 years. I don't need to hear about condoms. So I'm really grateful that we have that kind of relationship, that he can non-judgmentally give me what I need. And and that's so important. So we've briefly touched on this, but what role does nutrition and fitness play in optimizing our immune systems? And what further can individuals do who may not have the privilege of access to a gym or may live in a place where it's considered a food desert to really achieve that you know physical well-being with immense limitations? So I think this is, this is huge, right? Um, we know that certain foods, right, and lack of exercise, they actually can increase our cortisol. Cortisol, right, is is essentially the rev up, which can increase high blood pressure, heart disease, all the things. So there is a direct link and their beautiful framework showing this points at this hormone, which leads back to this hormone, which causes issues. And I love that you said in considering counseling on, on exercise nutrition, knowing where people are and what they actually have access to. It is not helpful, like Charles is pointing out, to say, go to the gym, jog whatever miles a day, eat healthy foods. Well, first of all, we just cut food snaps for for a lot of the people who are living with HIV. They can't afford you know, junk food. They had to let afford healthy foods. Knowing people's context, right? And so I think it's saying, okay, we have to eat the best that we can, right? The best that we can. Yes, we should be having, you know, gardens in the city and everybody should be able to get the most healthy food. But I think it's making the recommendation, but then spending the time and sitting there and saying, how do we get you there? And so, like I said, viral load is this much in the clinical appointment a lot of the time. It is pulling up pictures of, okay, you told me you live in a food desert. Literally, there is only a bodega and something down your block. So within that context, how can we get you to eat healthy, the healthiest you can? So, okay. Here's the low salt version of the the beans. Here's the other one. And it may be canned because you can't get fresh and frozen may be limited. And so we may be getting to canned. Okay. Between the canned option that you have, which is three for a dollar versus the five for $50, whatever, right? How do we look at the labels? How do we say, if you can't pronounce it, you shouldn't eat it because it's going to preserve your vessels and make them stiffer versus not, right? And literally meeting people where you're teaching them how to do it. What does a serving mean, right? Who knows what a serving means? Whoever eats a serving of potato chips? Nobody, right? Because you eat half the bag. The half the bag equals five servings. So it's actually arming people with the data they need to be able to eat as healthy as they can. When it comes to exercise, ooh, I hope Peloton doesn't get mad with me. I have shared my 60-day pass, guest pass, with my patients. 
So I happened to be privileged enough to be able to get a Peloton, right? I got on Facebook Marketplace for $500, don't tell anybody. But anyway, <laughs> but I said, you know, there are ways that you can work out within the confines of your home because reality is I can't walk outside because there are bullets flying by my whatever. So that's not safe. I can't go to the park at this time. I can't leave the kids. Okay. How do we make it possible for you so it's accessible to you? But that takes taking time to talk about what people's context is. So I've shared the platform so they can do sit-ups and push-ups or whatever. Join the community of people who are online and doing it, right? So I think it's saying you need to do these things because we know with studies that these things actually can limit your survival probably more than HIV can because she got your HIV unlocked. So how do we get at those things that everybody else is dying from, right? All the Americans, right? The obesity, the heart disease. And again, not in a judgmental space because some people, like Charles said, you have to do something that you actually want to do and like doing to be able to get to a certain point. So taking the time to go through it and then think about attainable solutions for people to get to what you want them to get to without shame or anything like that. I think too, it's really hard when you think about food deserts and when you think about oh, that yeah. kind of, and the privilege, like I, you were talking about Peloton and even like during the lockdown then like gyms were closed and all that kind of stuff. I had to think about how can I keep moving? Yeah. And I started running again. I hadn't been running for a while. And then I got bored with that. And I found YouTube. I found a lot of fitness videos on YouTube and yep. uh, yoga. And there's so many different things that are on YouTube. But that also requires privilege. Like, do you have yes. internet access? But I would say that there is community. And that's what I would reach out to because you're not the only one in your community who is seeking to eat better, to exercise more, to be healthier. Well, so I think this is what you were asking about who on your care team may be able to, to feed into that. And so social worker, the outreach specialist, I tap on them. What are the local resources, you know, where I happen to live, which is Montgomery County, all of the rec centers opened up free access, free access to their gym. So anybody can go, right? And so I didn't know that. So it's one of the local resources available to you, because you're right, there, there are varying degrees of privilege that you and I sit in that we may not be able to meet people there, but tapping into the other people on your care team can provide those. And, you know, even little things like I have no daycare, but I take my kid to the park. So I'm like, all right, while your kid's at the park, instead of sitting there on the bench, talking on your phone, how about you walk around the park? How about you engage with your kid on the swings? Swings are so much fun, right? And again, reinterpreting what exercise is because so many people, it is rigid, pound out for 30 minutes or whatever. And I think we have to change that. Park a little further away from the mall. Walk a further distance. It's incorporating every day in little things that you do. Get up from your desk and go talk to somebody down the hall, right? So things like that. I think it's, re it's reframing what fitness and exercise is for all the things, even nutrition and making it accessible to people. Saying go vegan is not accessible to people. It's not, right? But how can you maybe reduce how much meat you eat? How about we do some of those things and literally talk through what works and what doesn't work for people? So could you speak a little bit about mental and social well-being in relation to healthy living and how do things like mindfulness, gratitude and meditation play a role in healthy living? I think about mindfulness as just literally being present, right? Being present in the moment, being paying attention to my breathing, taking a breath, not realizing half time I'm holding my breath, right? So it's just it's awareness and presence. And then with that awareness of presence, having techniques and strategies to that induce calm, right? 
and control. There's so much that's going on around us that is out of our control. And how do you bring it back to your simple things is breath, right? That you can actually control. So when there, there are people that do this, and there've been now studies that look at this and mindfulness and whether it's yoga or whatever breathing techniques that actually show they can actually correlate scientifically with reducing stress, decreasing anxiety, right? We know both of those things can impact, if we wanna bring it back to HIV, can impact viral suppression. People who are more depressed and more anxious are less likely to have controlled viral loads, right? Not that we limit it to that, but saying for those clinicians who wanna focus on a number, we know that can do that. It also does actually improve quality of life. If you're present in the moment, you're breathing, you're less likely to ah, at somebody, <laughs> right? So it reduces issues with relationships. It improves your quality of life, right? And so I think those are absolutely encouraging. It's actually showed that it's decreased people's use of substances because people are oftentimes engaging in substances to control that depression, anxiety, or whatever is going on. And I think also while we talk about mindfulness and gratitude and meditation, all things that go together, Charles alluded to this earlier, connectivity, right? Connectivity has absolutely been associated. We saw in the, in the pandemic where we were, we were disconnected, how there were higher rates of suicide, depression, all the things, right? So how do you talk about improving connectivity um, to make sure that that, again, improves how they do overall and then later it affects the viral load because it's a trickle-down effect to the viral load? Like, yes, repeat that again. <laughs> One of the things about mindfulness, it can seem really daunting like, I don't know what that means, like you were saying. But one of the things that was taught to me that I love is someone said, be where your feet are. Mm. And for me, sometimes I, when I think of that phrase, when I'm really anxious or when I'm really overwhelmed, to be where my feet are, and I will stop and look at my feet. I am right here. I am not in the future. I am not in the past. I am right here. And that will calm me down. That's like a, a technique that I've developed to just literally look at my feet. But we gratitude is really important. And it's it can seem like a silly thing or something, I don't know, very Oprah Winfrey. But I do a gratitude list every day and I just do three things that I'm grateful mm -hmm. for. And sometimes it's lengthy and flowery. And sometimes it's, I'm grateful that I have a place to live. I'm grateful that I have food in my fridge and I'm grateful that I can go to the gym today or whatever. It could be that simple. I'm grateful for my very breath. But I think that that just reminds us that there are wonderful things in the world and things to be happy about. And that's especially when we are overwhelmed especially when there's so much violence happening in our communities and, and people trying to take away rights for people in our community. It just makes me so angry and it makes me feel powerless to stop, take a breath, be where my feet are, be grateful for the things that I have, and then I can go fight the man. I love that. I mean, I, I think um, it's the pause Right. I think, you know, I'm guilty of this and I'm trying not to be guilty of it. So trying to work on it, you know, you wake up in the morning and you're like, you start to go through the list. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, I got to do this. I got to jump out. The kids have to get to school and actually forcing yourself to pause. First of all, like you said, gratitude. I woke up this morning. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. I woke up this morning. I took a breath. We oftentimes are moving on to all the things that oh I didn't do or whatever. 
there are many, many people who didn't wake up this morning. So it's little things and it can sound condescending. Like, oh, you woke up, you know, things happen for a reason. Well, you woke up today, right? So it's just, it's pausing. And even when someone is losing it or what have you, and you say, thank you so much for, for being here today. It almost like, oh, okay. Because people are struggling on so many levels, right? Even when I'm having an issue with my kids, because I have two very rambunctious teenagers. And I'm like, you didn't do this, you didn't do this. Pause. I have, you're healthy. <sighs> right? You're this. Taking a pause can actually reframe and can, can center and settle you. So I really love that. It's a, the gratitude list and being intentional. Taking it to my patients. You know, we were talking about HIV and all the things and beyond HIV, but sometimes people do not give themselves grace. Actually, oftentimes they don't give themselves grace. They come in, oh, Dr. Algo, I'm going to check my labs today. I, I, this happened. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And I'm like, okay. The beauty of knowing what's happening all around with people, I say, well, you know what? You just told me that your kid graduated from college. Kudos to you for the amazing thing that you did, which is raise a fabulous person that you took through college or high school, whatever. You came in with fabulous hair. Look how beautiful you look today, right? Despite all that stuff going on, right? And you made it here today. Literally pause, take your right hand, put it over your shoulder and pat your back. People are like, oh, oh my God, you're right, right? Just taking the power out of the, I didn't, I'm not good enough, I'm not whatever. And that's a mindfulness moment, right? We don't call it that, but that's a mindfulness moment. The thought process around mindfulness and its ever expanding definition, I'm, brought back to a great book that I just read recently, which is The Lightly Carry by Michelle Obama. And in it, she talks about when she feels overstressed, she's a very fidgety person. So she has a difficult time sitting still. So she knits. But it's about like finding those ways to make the world, when, especially when it feels overwhelming, uh, find a way to make it feel small and in your hands. For me, that yes. is rock climbing, which the other people find that strange that that is calming to me. But it is hands, feet. I have to be in my body and present. And the rest of the world can just like hang out a second and I'll be yeah. back. You know, we we're talking about Michelle Obama. She's been very forthcoming about her struggles that she's had with depression. Who would ever have thought, right? And how what she's done to actually to control and bring that. I think that's important and being honest that we don't always have it all together, right? Absolutely. And we're all the work in progress. I loved you talking about grace, Allison. I think that's really important. Like I just went through a kind of a couple months of some low-grade depression. I had a, hit a big birthday this year, 55, which hit me harder than I expected. I started like, ooh, that's a big number. I don't know. It just really hit me this year. And then I had some minor surgery and then I got bronchitis. And so I have been, like I said earlier, I've been eating to, to feel better. I've been eating sugar. Candy was a big deal this year. Oh my God, those jelly belly and those you know, jelly belly. <laughs> Those are the most delightful things. And I would buy a, a bag that was like, oh, this is 20 servings. No, 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 no. So I, I've gained some weight and I'm feeling a little, but now I'm, okay, I did that. I, I gained some weight. I was comforting myself. And now I'm, I'm out of that depression and I'm back to doing what I, what I do to make myself feel better now. Um, you know, I'm back to going to the gym and I'm back to taking dance class. And I'm doing those and eating a salad every day as part of my lunch and all that kind of stuff. So forgiving myself for like, quote, failing or, or, or doing what I needed to do at the time to get myself through that time. I think it's so important providing ourselves that grace because it can't all be 100% all of the time. Nope. So 
Can you share an anecdote from your personal journey towards healthier living and what is meant for you in relation to the way that you view and treat others? Well, I'm going to take it back to this Samba class I take. I've been taking this Samba class on and off for about 10 or 12 years, and I'm terrible at it. Like, I, I'm really, I'm not good at it, but I, I love it so much. And there's also a part of it that is community. Um, and even through the lockdown, I was taking it, the teacher was teaching online. And when I started back taking class in real time, people recognized me from the online class, from seeing me. And that part of community, I think, is really important. And I think that that is, is an anecdote about healthier living. Like, okay, yeah, I made a commitment to myself. And other people were part of that commitment and other people recognized that commitment. I recognized it in other people. And I think that then it becomes, it's not just about me. Then it is about how my actions can affect and help other people to also live their truth and be in their, in their health. I'll take you back in time. So I, uh, after I had my second child, um, my first child, I just finished my fellowship and I was getting my public health degree and I took two weeks off to have my you know, after I had my daughter and was on my way back to taking classes and taking a test when she was two weeks old, literally. So my second child, I decided I was not going to do that. I, I was going to take all the time that I have, which is three months, which is a shame, actually, in the U.S., but no commentary on that. But I remember <laughs> having this child and I was going to take this three months off and I was going to be a at-home mom for three months and do all the things. And two weeks in, I was like, I've got to go crazy. It was, you know, it was diapers and breastfeeding and I wasn't built for that. And I, but I was doing all these things and trying to do it well. And I remember driving around two-year-old laughing and playing and the, the baby screaming. And I found the YMCA had a sign that said, membership. And I walked into the YMCA, dragging these children, looking crazy, feeling just depleted and thinking I was being good, right? I was being a good wife and a good mother, but I was depleted and walked in and they said, if you join the YMCA, you get two hours of free childcare starting at one month of age. And they would just take my child. You just take them. So in that day, I got home I said, I'm going to the gym with the children and nobody's stopping me. I left them in, in daycare and worked out for two hours. And that workout included a Zumba class, right? That was my first time Zumbaing. I love to dance. I found that. But beyond that, I fast forward six months later, I became a Zumba instructor, met a whole community of people that became my friends. So this connectivity, doing something for myself, which relaxed my mind, my kids were okay, but it's how do I do the things that actually fill me because being a, a stay-at-home mom is fantastic, but it wasn't for me and it was depleting me, right? So I figure out how I can show up better for myself so I can then show up better for my kids and my spouse and others. And that was community. It was exercise. It was uh, just relaxation, not thinking about the medical things. So, and it can come to you in different ways, but that's my, my anecdote. They're okay. They're now teenagers. They made it. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> But I would never have thought that day going out that that would have changed the trajectory of how I incorporated all those things and the community that I became a, a part of. I just want to say something else about community. Um, something that I was taught that is not always easy, but when I'm having a rough day or when I'm feeling overwhelmed, one of the things that is helpful is to call somebody else and say, how are you doing? Yeah. And, and to take the emphasis and get out of your own head by finding out 
what you can do to help somebody else, then all of a sudden your own problems don't seem as big and you don't feel so alone in them. Yeah. And sometimes it's literally is to call because we're in an environment where we are more connected and more isolated than ever at the same time, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Right. Mm -hmm. And the text is great sometimes, but the voice sometimes is what you need to feel really connected to somebody. And so I echo that, I, you know, we're, we're of that older generation that someone would say, oh no, you can do it with a, with a text. Sometimes that voice can actually bring you back. And as you said, you can bring that for somebody because many people are struggling and that connectivity is important for a lot. I want to thank my guests, Charles Sanchez and Dr. Allison Agbu for joining me today for this important conversation. It's very apparent that in today's world, we have to do things to take care and get us to our highest, best selves. Whether that's meditation, working out, eating healthy, or just getting up and taking a walk around the block. HIV Connect is made possible through educational grants from Gilead Sciences and Merck and Company, which has no influence over the podcast series topics, content, or speaker selection. To learn more about today's topics and other subjects, visit AIDSinfoNet at www.iapac.org backslash support backslash AIDS infonet or click the link in the show notes. As IAPAC Senior Advisor on Community Engagement, I want to hear from you. You can email me at kpugh at iapac.org. You can also find out more about today's guests in our show notes. Until next time, please be kind and take care of yourself and each other.